Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the No Degree! Hello everyone and welcome to the Nerd Degree, Defense Against the Dark Arts. My name is Brendan Bennett and tonight, in tribute to the Christchurch Arts Festival, I will be delving into all things art-related. With questions asked and topics debated, from the art of war to the art of the deal, from arts and crafts to art we can steal. And if our teams do verbal violence, we'll claim it's just more art than science. Tonight we have a Bachelor of Fine Arts, a comic artist, a Lego artist, and a bullshit artist. <laughs> it's time to meet our teams. Ben Allen. Oh, wait, which one of those was right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. You're not a Bachelor of Fine Arts. You know? Okay. Process of elimination there, Ben. Um, ben, you're, uh, you're an improviser. You are a uh, human being. <laughs> yeah. I am one of those things. I've got, a, I've got a question for you, Ben. Uh, this is an art episode. If you could steal any work of art, what would you steal? I think it would be the Mona Lisa, because go big or go home, really. And you'd be, the most, you'd be the most famous criminal of all time if you stole the Mona Lisa, I think. And you wouldn't be able to sell it to anyone, but it would look pretty good on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> just move my daughter's pictures the other way. Just Mona Lisa, bam, just on the... Yeah, it'd be good. Just with a fridge magnet. Yeah, with a fridge magnet. Lovely. Uh, and Sen, uh, you are a Lego artist, uh, am- yep. among other kinds of art. Uh, of what kind of art would you, what artwork would you steal? I think I would go for the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> simply because I love New York, and it would look great in my backyard. <laughs> or maybe off the coast. Would you get of... um, David Copperfield in to help you with that? Like, um, I probably need a little bit of help, yeah. Ben and Sen, you are forming a team tonight. What is your team called? Uh, we will be... Show me the Monet. Show me the Monet. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, show me the Monet. <laughs> All right, on the other side we have Andrew Todd. Andrew Todd, you are a filmmaker and a game reviewer. What mm-hmm. piece of art would you like to steal? Um, I would probably steal uh, the original camera negatives of uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Um <laughs> Uh, so that so that I could compile and release a, an un, unaltered version of uh, of Star Wars without the special edition bullshit uh, that, that that George Lucas refuses to allow to be released. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Striking a blow for the everyday common nerd. Mm. Uh, and Andrew Keppel, you are an animator. Mm-hmm. What work of art would you steal? I think I would steal Edvard Munch's The Scream. You know the one? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be the first to steal it either, but I think it could be the start of a tradition of people just stealing it off each other. Might, could be an interesting sort of thing. It's, it's like the modern version of like a road cone. Yeah. Right? yeah Everyone's, everyone wants to just steal one and put it in their flat. Yeah. Um, okay. Andrew and Andrew, you have also formed a team. What is your team name? Uh, we are Love Actually. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Love Actually. <laughs> All right. It's time for us to get straight into things. The first round is on the topic of defence against the dark arts. Now, this is, a, this is a popular subject at Hogwarts, but we all have something to learn on the topic of defending yourself from uh, dark and supernatural things. So we know, like, vampires are afraid of garlic and all that kind of thing. Uh, what creature's weakness is a brick between the teeth? It's mine. Like, yeah. <laughs> pretty, it slowed me right down, pretty much. Just a brick between teeth. Or is, is it is it biting down, or like thrown into? Or <laughs> that's like, that's going to be effective against most people, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Uh, Got to be something with really big teeth. You would assume, like a giant or an ogre or something. Hmm. Like in a, a rancor situation. A rancor. Like Luke Skywalker, yeah. like he had a brick instead of a stick. If you, just stuck be much more there. effective than a, a bone or a stick. Lots, a lot more solid. Yeah. It might well have been. This is so. This is uh, there's historical evidence that people thought that a brick in the uh, between the teeth would protect people from a certain supernatural creature. Is this like uh, it's it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a brick to pass through the teeth of a rich man? That Yes. I mean, I think there's something for us to be li- for it's all to learn. There's something that climbs into your mouth while you're asleep or something, right? So if you've got a brick, that's like virtually having a brick wall 
in your mouth. Like nobody can climb in <laughs> at night. Because I'm always afraid of spiders crawling exactly. into my mouth, so I should sleep it, with a brick in my yeah. mouth. Is this like? Is this like? But some spiders sort of, live around bricks. Is this some some sort of uh, some sort of fad fad diet where where you 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 brick and mortar up your mouth so that you can't uh, eat? Would be highly effective. Uh, so this is uh, there's evidence of this in a nineteen uh, sorry sixteen seventy nine tract uh, titled Demestication Mortuorum or on the Chewing Dead. What zombies? The Chewing Dead. Yeah, it's um. They're not walking. Yeah, no. <laughs> it is true. You've got to come to them. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't put your hands near their mouth as they can. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not actually that hard to escape them, but somehow the, the plague spreads. Well, plague is right. So this was about, uh, they, were, they weren't sure how the plague was being spread, and they had this theory that uh, there were these kind of zombie or vampire-like corpses that would chew through their shroud that they were buried in, and then uh, they would consume their own fingers um, and by doing this, that would slowly kill the surviving members of their family. So uh, they would of put. Hey, they I more, think we all understand how. If they had like a really big family and had had, had more family members than they had fingers, mm-hmm. huh? What then, plague zombie? <laughs> well, the idea was that you put a brick between the teeth oh. of the body so that they can't chew their way out of their shroud. Is this like a whole brick? Because that's quite big to put between someone's teeth. It's like, is it, do you get like a cinder block? Or this is the Middle Ages. Like bricks, were, bricks were smaller. That was smaller. <laughs> teeth were giant. People just had, uh, had bigger bites. Right. Well, you just go down to your local bricksmith and ask for the certain size. That you could. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Give me a mouth's worth. Bricks for that, that exact purpose. Yeah. All right. Uh, who's Le- Lego bricks, maybe. Maybe. Mm. Something to think about, Sam. Yeah. Whose weakness is an ultrasonic whistle? Well, dogs, obviously. Yes, I'm. They have to come around. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Supernatural creatures. Is it a werewolf? It is a werewolf. Uh, so ultrasonic whistles are apparently carried by modern day werewolf hunters. Oh, I've, okay. I've been doing some research on the internet. Um, their ultrasonic whistle can repel or attract a werewolf. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Surely it's very important to know which of those it's going to do before you start blowing. Like, you really want to be sure about that. And you'd also have to assume that modern-day werewolves would have earmuffs and ways to combat as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a constant um, battle of yeah, technology. technology. Whistle versus earmuff. Yeah. Now, uh, people have listened to previous episodes will know that I'm somewhat obsessed with um, psychic attacks <laughs> and um, <laughs> different theories about how you can protect yourself from them. Um, so I did some internet research on how to protect yourself from psychic attacks. Uh, I'm going to give you the name of the different techniques, and uh, I will give you points if you can identify what the what the technique actually is. So the first technique is a psychic shower. <laughs> what is a psychic shower? I think it's when you gather a lot of people together and uh, just have them all stand in a tight group, and then they think like positive thoughts in your direction, and they just shower over you. <laughs> And like a kind of uh, good vibe of... Uh, of uh, and you should never pee in the psychic shower. <laughs> <laughs> because that brings the whole tone down. I, I imagine so. Andrew? Um, it's, uh, it, it's just a normal shower. But um, before you get in it, you have to saw the top of your skull off. Um, thus exposing your brain to be cleansed. Not psycho shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a different movie. Uh. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. a psychic shower is specifically if you don't have time for a psychic bath. <laughs> <laughs> and it saves on psychic water as well. Um, <laughs> but essentially, you take a shower and you imagine the negative energy being washed away as you take the shower. What about uh, spiritual clearing of intent? That's just good campsite practice. <laughs> back when you back up, just make sure that you're not leaving any ghosts of any... Um, Dead Boy Scouts behind or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spiritual clearing of intent. Oh, intent. Sorry. Uh, I thought you said a tent. <laughs> um, I can tell you now, it's also not clearing your spiritual browser history either. <laughs> We're going to move straight on. Um, smudging. 
smudging. Is that Sm- when you you r- write uh, <laughs> bad feelings down in pencil, and then you just take your thumb and just sort of smear them out on the page? That's not it. That's oh. not it. No, it's uh, you. It- Oh, you burn something and then put the ashes in special runes on your body to repel psychic attacks. You're pretty much in the ballpark there. Um, you burn white sage and you kind of um, you waft the smoke over things to cleanse them of a psychic attack. Uh, what about cord cutting? Something that happens after a baby is being born. It's <laughs> <laughs> still attached to its mother, so there's a procedure that you have. No, it's not that one. Hasn't that come from? Um, that movie, The Ring, when the phone rings, you just cut, cut the cord so the phone can't actually work. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't they think of that? Yeah. That's why it's still worth having a landline, yeah. by the way. <laughs> because if you're on a cell phone, you can't get rid of Samara. Because you can't, there's nothing to cut. You switch to flight mode. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. just call on the mobile. Now, of course, once we understand how we become corded to other people through etheric cording mm. uh, with those who are both friends and enemies, it's easy to let people go through a cord cutting. Uh, so you, for example, anyone who is eaten by jealousy or bent on revenge will hook into us and may be sending us their dark energy and thoughts through the cords. So <laughs> the cords! A series of tubes! <laughs> um, it's your cords, Marty. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, Okay, so that brings us to the end of defending ourselves against the dark arts. It's time to go to our specialist scorekeeper. Uh, Please welcome Dr. Erin Harrington. Erin, are you there? Hi, Brendan. Uh, Well, it's been really difficult to enter into this round because of how the mechanical mark-making makes resonant the inherent over-specificity of the answers. But I can tell you in my role as art critic that Show Me the Monet is ahead six points to five. Ladies and gentlemen, Show Me the Monet. (laughs) Now, I have assigned each of the nerds a homework assignment. I've asked them to think of a great work of art and then reveal the hidden truth behind that work of art. So let's hear some of the homework now. We'll start with Ben. Ben, what have you looked into and what have you found? I was thinking very deeply about this, Brendan. Uh, The great artist, of course, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, in his famous work, Vitruvian Man. You can picture that guy with his, his arms out there in the circle, Famously, uh, you know, his, his biological studies and, and, and uh, sort of the basis of uh, things that have gone to space, the Voyager, the drawings and things like that. I was just wondering, what if he was just teaching us how to do star jumps? <laughs> Thanks, Ben. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> it's my whole theory. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go over to the other team now. Andrew Keppel. Uh, what have you looked into and what have you found? Well, <laughs> oh, what I've got here, it's t- high time someone called out a certain problematic fave, or should I say problematic Dave of the Renaissance. <laughs> Michelangelo's David is often called an artistic masterpiece, the pinnacle of Renaissance sculpture, our naked friend, when really it is little more than a reactionary claptrap from a smug little concern-trolling dude bro. <laughs> which, regardless of any high degree of technical skill involved in creating it, puts it in the same artistic level as some of the most disingenuous of ham-fisted political cartoons invoking a false equivalence fallacy. Think of these repetitive newspaper cartoons, we see a lot of them these days, where groups of downtrodden people who, given little choice but to respond to oppressive violence with violence, are amusingly depicted as the real oppressors of this scenario. Yep, got to keep trotting out that hypocrisy humour if you're a political cartoonist. Now, this criticism also applies to Michelangelo sculpting David, the classic underdog, on the anatomical scale of the giant Goliath whose anatomical scale we generally equate with unfair dominance, depicting the biblical hero as the symbol of oppression over which he triumphed through necessary violence. Now, in Michelangelo's own, own words, translated, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. Now, imagine, if you will, our sculptor smugly stroking his neck beard and tipping his Florentine fedora as he contemplates how he'll depict David as having a very serious facial expression. Not the expression of a man concerned with self-preservation, however, but a man struggling to reconcile an act of violence with conspicuous moral superiority. 
telling us that the biblical hero was thinking, oh no, if I strike back at my oppressor, maybe it is I who is Goliath. What if we are the real giants here? Ooh woo! <laughs> now, apologists will assert that, well, actually, the scale of this sculpture represents the scale of David's triumph over Goliath. David's marble giantness is a stature that was earned rather than abused. Well... Just because Michelangelo's, Michelangelo's edgelord message goes over their heads, this is in, in no way diminishing of the insidiousness of the underlying centrist propaganda, the fallacy that violently fighting against violence is equivalent to violently fighting for violence. This is something we, we must vigilantly identify and dismantle here in 2017 more than ever before. Now, I'm not saying that we should take it upon ourselves to continue sculpting this statue down to discover the human scale David inside it. I'm saying that while it's tempting to view a master artisan like Michelangelo as someone who is far removed from the political concerns of our own times and would, would never stoop to the level of modern hack cartoonists, this updated examination of the creative process behind the Statue of David <laughs> reaffirms that it is our task as members of society to take a little closer look at the artist and discover the smug, reactionary, politically cavalier, regressive party-line dude bro inside. After all... Is it not said that Michelangelo is a party dude? <laughs> Andrew Keppel, everyone. Now, it falls on me to uh, decide <laughs> who did better in that. Star Andrew- jumps, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Andrew was very detailed. You had specific examples. Uh, you yep. went into a great, great depth. Uh, ben, on the other hand, I could understand yours. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go with Ben on this one. Um, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. good. Controversial. Um, so make a note of that, Erin. We're going to move on to our next round, Crimes Against Art. What connects the following things? A street fight over a tennis match, a boy bitten by a lizard, and a plate of overcooked artichokes. Big Friday night in Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) A street fight over a tennis match. A street fight over a tennis match, a boy bitten by a lizard, and a plate of overcooked artichokes. (laughs) That's a really good question, Bruce. Um, what this, can you can, can you give us a hint as to the tennis? Was it a was this a t- famous tennis tournament of some kind? Maybe a. It was not a famous tennis tournament. It was not tournament. even a famous tennis tournament. Uh, okay. Was it taking place in the street, like street tennis? It was. So it was. It was a tennis match that involved a couple of street gangs. So it may oh, have been street tennis. Street <laughs> tennis. Yeah, tennis? that's what I meant. Yep. Lizards. Boy bitten by a lizard. Boy bitten by a lizard. And overcooked artichokes. Now, some people may know that Boy Bitten by a Lizard is a famous painting by uh, Michelangelo Maurice de Caravaggio. Right? We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Caravaggio's Boy Bitten by a Lizard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it has been described as the most uh, written about painting of all time. It wasn't like this the brawl over the street tennis spilled over into the art gallery or something and like did cause the the other way around. Oh. Um, so Caravaggio. Uh, so it, although now we think of artists as kind of quite uh, uh, kind of uh, quiet and unassuming, at the time uh, there were gangs of artists roaming the streets. <laughs> uh, so. The reason that we know more about Caravaggio than a lot of other artists at that time is because of the copious court records um, of all of the times he was arrested uh, for various acts of uh, violence and public nuisance. And then, during the brawl, someone took a bite out of the painting and choked and died, and they named it Artichoke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so <laughs> was he sentenced? Was it like a lazy judge? Caravaggio, you've been in one too many street tennis brawls. I sentence you to eat this plate of overcooked artichokes. Well, in fact, uh, Caravaggio was arrested for beating up a waiter who had served him a plate of overcooked artichokes. <laughs> right. um, he... It's not the waiter's fault, that's the, that's the yeah. chef's fault. Well, okay, good <laughs> point. Um, he, he also was involved, uh, another artist was killed in a street fight 
that Caravaggio was involved with uh, that apparently started over a tennis match. Those artists back then were badass, weren't they? Yeah, but the, the level of quality of the graffiti must have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Caravaggio got it, got it with quite a lot. He uh, he used it as his model for the Virgin Mary, and uh, he was commissioned to do a painting in a church. Um, a prostitute friend of his was the model for Mary, and it just so happened that that prostitute used to stand outside that same church and solicit people as they went in. So they would see her outside, then walk in and see this giant <laughs> painting of Mary that looked that exactly a like weird her. Experience. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Um, so I didn't expect you to be in this line of work. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so it's it's theorised that he intentionally made his paintings unacceptable to the church, so that they would pay, commission him to paint something. He would paint something that they would then reject, so that he could then take the painting back and sell it to someone else. Mm. Yeah, Caravaggio. <laughs> More badass than you thought. <laughs> um, so on the subject of art and crime, we're going to look at some uh, famous. Arts of work, uh, arts of work, yeah, works of art. Some famous works of art that have been stolen in fiction. So uh, this, I'm going to name a great work of art. You're going to tell me what book, movie, comic, etc. It got stolen in. Uh, and thank you to uh, Nerd Degree alum Matt Powell for providing this round. So first of all, Leonardo da Vinci's flying machine. When, where was that stolen? You mean the machine itself or the uh, or Yeah, the there was a movie in which that was this stolen. Is the uh, Jackie Chan version of Around the World in 80 Days or something. Uh, We've got someone in the audience who knows mm. the answer. Oh. Yes, Charlotte? Uh, ever After? Ever After? <laughs> no? <laughs> she was so confident. Maybe there's and more than one. Maybe, maybe there's more than one. What I have here is Hudson Hawk, the amazing oh, yeah. Bruce Willis vehicle. Oh, what a terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, The Great Pyramid. Uh, at the start of Despicable Me. Correct. Uh, Michelangelo's Madonna and Child. So this is based on a true story. Uh, this was The Monuments Men. All right. Okay, next one. The, so the Nazis stole it. Yeah. I mean, they were big into that. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, show me the Monet. You should know this one. Monet's San Giorgio Maggiore at dusk. Yeah, you see, I think our team name is more a kind of a cheap joke. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of tossed off. Uh, um, that was the Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bathsheba with, David's, with King David's Letter by Rembrandt. This film famously... Uh, Involving uh, laser lasers that needed to be evaded. Oh, with uh, entrapment. Entrapment is yeah. correct. <laughs> yes. And I finally, Van Klomp's The Fallen Madonna. With the big boobies. <laughs> hello, hello. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. See, I was really hanging out for Whistler's Mother yeah, uh, from the Bean movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sure that was coming. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you a point for that one anyway. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the end of the Crimes Against Art round. Erin, what are the scores? Well, with regard to the issue of content, the sublime beauty of the round endangers the devious simplicity of the distinctive formal juxtapositions of the answers. What we have then is Show Me the Monet on 12 and Love Actually on 8. Show Me the Monet still in the lead. <laughs> And I should apologise for Erin. She's just had her first book published and it seems to have gone to her head. <laughs> Let's have the uh, second round of homework. Andrew Todd. <clears throat> so the work of art that I chose is, uh, is one of the great modern works of art. Um, uh, it is, of course, the, uh, the body art, the tattoos on uh, Jared Leto's rendition of the Joker in Suicide Squad. <laughs> Um, Now In Suicide Squad Jared Leto has tattoos all over his body uh, Playing the Joker Uh, He has the word ha uh, Tattooed 27 times Across his his, uh, Left side of his chest and his left arm 27 Happens to be part of the title of chapter 27 Another film starring Jared Leto Now 
Chapter 27 is, of course, uh, a film where Jared Leto stars as Mark David Chapman, uh, the man who shot John Lennon. Um, the title refers to uh, J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, um, which has no chapter 27. The, the implication, of course, being that, uh, that the, the, the events in the film are, in fact, the 27th chapter. Now... Chapter 27 was released in 2007, 27 years to the year <laughs> after uh, 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 John Lennon was shot. 27 also, a notable number in, that, in, the, in the sheer quantity of artists, musicians, and actors who have died at age 27. 27 years after uh, John Lennon's death, 27 years also after the disappearance of J.D. Salinger from the public eye, uh, his last uh, interview was recorded in 1980. Um, uh, obvious uh, for for reasons that might seem obvious, uh, uh, nope. you know, you might go, you might go, you might go. Oh well, he stopped doing interviews because uh, the guy who shot uh, John Lennon claimed his 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 greatest novel was the inspiration. But no, what if J.D. Salinger spent the next, uh, the next 27 years, um, preparing to be inserted into Jared Leto uh, and to wear him as, as a skin of sorts. Um, I, I, I take as secondary evidence the fact that Jared Leto in Chapter 27, um, th because as this was the moment of uh, insertion of, of J.D. Salinger into Jared Leto, Jared Leto in that movie gained an enormous amount of weight. He claimed that he did it by drinking melted ice cream. But no, he did it by ingesting J.D. Salinger. Um, so uh, uh, it, is, it is worth also noting, um, 27, the same number of books as in the New Testament. Um, who, who could be the greater second coming than Jared Leto as the second coming of J.D. Salinger? Um, uh, Jared Le going back to the Joker, Jared Leto has, has green hair. Green like grass. Like rye grass. Who is the catcher of J.D. Salinger? It is Jared Leto catching him with his body. And finally, on, on his forehead in, that, in, uh, in Suicide Squad reads the word damaged. Is it just, is it, is it a, a, an insight into the character? Or is it Salinger himself trying to cry out that he has been damaged by being cooped up inside this Academy Award winning actor uh, for all of these years? I submit to you that it's the latter. Andrew Todd, everyone. Some, some really strong arguments there. Star jumps, Brendan. <laughs> Star jumps are sounding better and better. Sin, what have you okay. got? Well, my artwork is MC Escher's Relativity. And so for those that you can't picture, it's the one with the stairs going and all different directions. Now, to start with, it's a well-known fact that Escher owned a cat early on in his career as an artist, right? So what's not common knowledge is that when the cat died, Escher was actually tormented by visions and hauntings that are said to be caused by the spirit of his cat, right? So my theory is that relativity is actually inspired by conversations Escher had in his sleep with his dead cat. And the final lithograph is said to represent the ultimate cat's playground. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Five reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, it is a scene filled with stairs, railings, and posts that are perfect for a cat to climb. And, you know. Number two, <laughs> zero gravity. So cats can claw all over the place without having to sort of you know, fall. They fall around. They fall down. They land on their feet. No problem there. Number three, there are several people in the scene, which I said, to, which I think represent servants, or people walking up and down stairs, which are perfect for cats to trip over. <laughs> okay. Number four, if you look closely, the texture that's used on the walls, like on almost all the surfaces. It's like a hatch kind of pattern, which looks to me like carpet. Perfect. You know, scratching for cats. And then last of all, there is one pot plant that looks suspiciously like a catnip plant. Mm. Okay. 
everyone. Centauri Chan, everyone. Okay, so again, it's up to me to decide whether <laughs> it is the insane ramblings of a madman. No, no, absolutely not. Okay, I will give you the points if you don't provide any more evidence. <laughs> 27 points? <laughs> 2.7 points. All right, our next round is the martial arts round. Here's my martial arts related question. What connects? That's going to be that's a question. I was, I was sorry. I just thought we were going to have a fight. There. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting real excited that we would have to just have a. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. If you yeah, just yeah. if you want to. Yeah, it might be. But we don't want to damage the equipment. All right. What connects these things? Pounding a lion, a bit of rough and tumble, and jailhouse rock. Pounding a lion, a bit of rough and tumble. And Jailhouse Rock. Did Elvis Presley like to pound a lion there at the end? You know, when was it was, a metaphor for well, something? You know, I don't know. Just crazy rock star behaviour. Like you get up, eat a fried peanut butter and banana sandwich, pound a lion. Just like just get like, two of his friends, like hold the lion still. Put the lion down and just go to town. No, that's not the answer. No. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, a reference to the uh, gritty. Reboot of the Lion King, where instead of Pride Rock, uh, they have Jailhouse Rock, um, and uh, the lions just beat each other up for the entire movie. Right. So it follows Scar sent to prison for murder. I'd watch yep. that. And con- and conspiracy. <laughs> um, all three. All three of these things refer to obscure martial arts. So, um, Bokator, oh. Andrew. Uh, 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 is is. <laughs> Um, is, is, is a bit of rough and tumble. Um, is that a Bartitsu? Bartitsu. Move. What's Bartitsu? Bartitsu is the, is the, like, Victorian gentleman's martial art that involves the use of, like, uh, walking canes and, yeah. uh, umbrellas and, and, like, uh, long overcoats as weapons. <laughs> um, and it's basically, like, uh, you can, you can find, you can find kind of diagrams of, of various moves of Bartitsu, um... Uh, and it seems like it's designed so that you uh, will will sort of like ruffle the least clothing possible while <laughs> doing the moves. Yeah. So what you have described is almost the exact opposite of the martial art rough and tumble. <laughs> it was developed during the 18th and 19th centuries in the southern United States. Uh, rough and tumble fighters emphasized maximum disfigurement <laughs> and a no holds barred ferocity. Uh, so. Uh, some are even said to have filed their teeth into razor-sharp weapons, which they would use to bite off the ears, nose, lips, and fingers of their opponents. Uh, genitals were also fair game, so many fighters literally lost their manhood in these cold-blooded confrontations. So, not so gentlemanly. Well. <laughs> no, probably not. No. Uh, so, the other one, so, Bokator is a ca- Cambodian martial art, uh, which translates to pounding a lion. It refers to an ancient legend where a Bokator practitioner uh, killed a lion with one perfectly placed knee strike. I bet people that got good at Bokator were not keen to try that, though. Like, <laughs> good, now, if you want to be a black belt, we need you to go out there and kill a lion with one blow of your knee. That's the test that we have. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I think we'd probably run out of lions as well. Uh, Jailhouse Rock is one of only two martial arts that are indigenous to the United States. I guess the other one is rough and tumble. Um, it was created within America's prison system. Uh, it's notable for its brutal training methods, uh, one of which is known as 52 Pickup, where uh, a deck of cards are scattered on the floor and trainees are made to pick them up in order while being beaten mercilessly by three or more others. Wait, who's teaching martial arts to prison inmates? Well, what is I, the theory behind this? Other prison this? inmates. Yeah, I'm guessing it's the other prison mates. It's not, <laughs> right. This is not like t- taking a drama class or... A, <laughs> so, like, so when the guards go past the training session and go like, what are you guys doing? And they're just like, we're just learning to fight better. And they're like, oh, carry on. No, this, it's like, oh, we dropped our deck of cards. <laughs> okay, all right. We were cool. just picking them up and beating each other so senseless. Is that the origin, oh, the origin of Pick Up 52? 52. <laughs> <laughs> I assume so. Uh, and I always thought it was just an easy way to shuffle the cards. Drop them and get someone else to pick them up. Well, you better watch out from now on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, on the topic of martial arts, they say there is only one Bruce Lee, but how oh, many have there oh, really been? Oh. 
Heaps. It's been, been uh, Bruce Lee. Bruce uh, Lee, Leo, I think. Uh, uh, Bruce, Bruce Lee with an I. Um, uh, yeah, so Br- Bruce Leung. We're referring to the genre of Bruce Ploitation, yeah. which are uh, <laughs> martial arts mo- ma- movies made uh, in the time after Bruce Lee died, yeah. uh, with Bruce Lee imitators who often change their names to sound more like Bruce Lee. So, as you said, Bruce Lee with an L I. Bronson Lee, Bruce Chin, Bruce Lai, Bruce Lay, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lai, Bruce Long, Bruce Lai, L Y, Bruce Ty, Bruce Lear, Brute Lee, uh, <laughs> Lee Bruce, uh, and Dragon and, Lee. So and it, uh, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> was it, um, I think it was Game of Death, they had filmed half of when he actually died, and the, then the film contains footage of his funeral or something like that. The extent that they, or it has a funeral for his character, because his character dies sort of halfway. That is not the worst example of Bruce exploitation. The film, The Dragon Lives Again. Oh my god, it's so good. (laughs) um, So it it follows Bruce Lee after his death into the underworld, where he literally runs afoul of the underworld, um, where he has to fight Dracula, James Bond. And the man with no name. <laughs> and uh, the Godfather. And, oh, and the Godfather. And, uh, wait, did you say James? You said James, James Bond. Bond. Um, yeah. And he more. has help oh, from... Popeye? He has help from Popeye. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Zatoichi is oh, in it as well. Amazing. Wow. I like to see him come up against Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Hudson Hawk. Okay, so um, I have a challenge for you now. Oh, and uh, The Exorcist as well. The Exorcist is in it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, great. All right, uh, Andrew and Andrew, um, I'm going to uh, give you this challenge now. I have here a list of uh, obscure martial arts films. Uh, Andrew Todd, you've probably seen some of them. Yep. Here is the here is the challenge. You're going to read out either a film title from that list, or you're going to make up a fake one. Uh, ben and Sen, you have to identify whether it is a real film or a made up film. Okay. Take it away. Um, cheerleader Ninjas. That's real. It sounds real. plausible, doesn't it? It does sound <laughs> real? depressingly plausible. Like, I know there's Beverly Hills Ninjas, so it doesn't seem like a big step to Cheerleader Ninjas. I just want to say Cheerleader Ninjas. Okay, yeah. yeah that's, I'm yeah. going to say true. You can it because be, it is real. Yeah. I want it to be real, yeah. yeah. Um, swordsman with an Umbrella. That's just poor organisation. Mm. <laughs> you assume that, that the like, sword comes out of the umbrella? Yeah, well, yeah, okay. It could be a... Or is it Batetsu? It oh. could be Batetsu. Um, see, it's a, it's a random to be false. Maybe Andrew's just being clear. You mm. think it's true? I think it might be true. This goes true. Uh, so yeah. It's true. Okay. Yeah, it is real. It is real. Yeah. Karate bear fighter. <laughs> Wait. Now, I have an important question here. Is it, a, is it a guy who fights a bear with karate? Or is it a karate bear fighter, like a bear who knows karate and is a fighter? Because that seems very important to me. Yeah. Or is it Bear Grylls doing karate? <laughs> That's a whole third option. Yeah. I think it's going to be... You don't have to answer that. Okay. Is it real or is it false? No, I think it like... Because who fights... Take a gun to a bear fight, not yeah. karate. It's going to be false. False? False. Karate bear fighter, 1977. Oh. It's real. <laughs> um, Deadly snake of Tai Chi. That's, oh. I'm going to go true on that one. It does sound true. Yeah. Tai Chi, I would have thought, like, you don't be, be a deadly snake. Tai Chi's a little more... Um, Peace, peace, chill out, then uh, oh, becoming yeah, a deadly yeah. snake. So it should be chilled out snake chilled of Tai Chi. <laughs> um, just only fights in defence snake of Tai Chi. <laughs> of a Jedi thing. I don't know. Okay, so you're going false. I'm going false. Let's go false. Mm, it is false. <sighs> Good call. Legend of the Exploding Fists. <laughs> a Guy Fawkes cautionary tale. <laughs> 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 Throw the pohar away, kids. Um, <laughs> Exploding fist. So you yeah. punch someone, boom. I reckon it's, it's a true. short fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go true. Yeah, true, true. 
it's it's fake. Although I feel like Aaron, do you ever? Could you just look it up to make sure it's not accidentally <laughs> real? Because <laughs> it just sounds so plausible. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's have uh, two more. Swords of the Flying Emperor. Again, I have a lot, a lot of questions. How is he flying? Uh, a lot of emperors swords. fly. In... <laughs> 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 thinking back to you know a lot of the, the martial a, arts. Emperor Palpatine that, foot that I yep. used to watch <laughs> briefly. Um, Curse so, of the Flying Daggers. Chariot of Fate was flying around that a little bit. I was yeah, I'm leaning towards true. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, true. true. It's false. Um, it's false. It's false. One more. Karate Bullfighter. <laughs> Wait, is this the sequel to Karate Bear Fighter? <laughs> Why would a. Oh, man, we have to be the prequel. That's because you've got to go up, you've got to escalate, right? Yeah. So you start with bulls and work on to bears. Okay. So if there was going to be a film, it would be before Karate Bear Fighter. <laughs> They've got to step up the challenge. And then, so it could be the first one in the series. Yeah, yeah. Before that was Karate Catfighter. <laughs> and then down. And I'm, I'm picturing like a Spanish version of the Karate Kid for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, false. I think it's false. Okay, false. It's going to be false. False. It's real. Oh, it's oh, real. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> and it, it came out in the same year as Karate Bear Fighter. Oh <laughs> Is it like the Mockbuster version of Karate Bear Fighter? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. All right, that brings us to the end of the martial arts round. Erin, an update of the scores, please. Well, I do have to tell you that there are two things. There is a, um, a 1985 Commodore 64 game called The Way of the Exploding Fist. Oh. But there's also a 1998 game, arcade game, called Legend of the Exploding Fist that's somehow associated with Amiga stuff via Lemon Retro Store, but that's all I can really help you with there. Wow. Do you want to? Accidental do you wanna... copyright infringement on my part. Signs and All right, we're going to have to reverse those points. <laughs> oh, oh, well then. Um, I've given up on the art criticism and have gone to the bar. And uh, what, I, <laughs> what I can tell you is that uh, Show Me the Monet is on 18, and Love actually has crept ahead on 21.7. Love, actually, everyone. <laughs> this next round, I. I hesitate to. Um, in this round, I will say a bit of trivia about someone. Then the teams will tell me whether this is referring to someone named Art, usually short for Arthur, or someone named Ike, or Isaac, which can be abbreviated to Ike. This round is entitled, I don't know if it's Art, but I know that it's Ike. <laughs> The title for this round was provided by Scott Corey. <laughs> he gets all of the blame for this as well. Um, so, now, let, now let's just... You have to tell... I'm going to read something out, and you're going to tell me if it's an art or an Ike. So we, we okay. ring in for this one? Uh, I guess so. so. So what's Ike short for? Isaac. Uh, in most cases, yes. All right, uh, so... He has an, a master's of science in mathematics. He was going, yes. Sounds like Ike, Isaac Newton. He was going to pursue his PhD, but his music career took oh. off before that happened. <laughs> is it Art Garfunkel? It is Art Garfunkel, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although Isaac Newton's music career was <laughs> sensational. Yeah. Uh, invented the cat door. That's Isaac Newton. <laughs> that, is, that is Isaac Newton, allegedly. Yep. Yes. Uh, was the first president to ride in a helicopter? Uh, uh, Ike. Ike. <laughs> Dwight D. Eisenhower, Eisenhower yes, Eisenhower, known as Ike. It's not an Isaac at all. Yeah. I know, I said Ike or Isaac. I like, I like Ike. Okay, uh, in a case of art imitating life, uh, the last words he ever spoke on screen were his character's dying words, I'm out of here in the action comedy fantasy film Last Action Hero. Art? Yep, that was Art Carney, the, uh, the actor. Oh. Uh, invented the post-it note. Ike. <laughs> that was a good shot, but... Uh, it was... <laughs> uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> invented the post-it note. <laughs> the... Uh... Uh, writing about Sherlock Holmes because Sherlock had to have some way of organizing his thoughts. It was 
It was Art, <laughs> Art Fry, was the inventor of the post-it note. Of course he was. Um, okay, uh, developed the first commercially successful sewing machine. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> Ike. Correct. Oh, yeah, <laughs> what Andrew said. It was <laughs> Isaac Merritt Singer was the uh, inventor. Singer. I thought his name was Arthur. <laughs> uh, who was Arthur Singer? Arthur Singer. <laughs> um, uh, who wrote this limerick? Uh, <laughs> a pious young minister's pappy had a sex life div- diverse, hot and snappy. It shocked his dear son when he had all the fun, but it made girl parishioners happy. Arthur C. Clarke. You're really close, but wrong. Uh, it was Isaac Asimov. Oh. <laughs> that brings us to the end of that round. <laughs> so uh, before we go into the final debate round, can we have a quick update on the scores? Erin? Yeah, so I got waylaid on the way to the bar playing... Fist 2, The Legend Continues, which is the 1986 <laughs> sequel to Way of the Exploding Fist. But I have been keeping the scores. Uh, Show Me the Monet is on 20, and Love Actually is on 24.7. Love Actually. <laughs> I'd be a little suspicious picking up a game called Fist 2. <laughs> <laughs> the final round is the Art of the Deal round. I will... Give each team something that is not particularly appealing. Your job will be to sell it to the audience. The audience will then vote on which they found the most appealing, and that team will be the winner. So, Ben and Sen, you are going to try and sell to the audience spending the winter in the world of Game of Thrones in Westeros. (laughs) And Andrew and Andrew, you are going to sell to the audience the idea of living in Mad Max-era Australia. Wait, do you mean like 1979? Austra- no, I mean like the, the, the setting, the, the post-apocalyptic uh, world that we see in okay. Mad Max. Ben and Sen, show me the Monet. Talk to me about winter. Sure, well, Brendan, a lot of people will assume that winter in, uh, in Westeros is a bad time, I think. But, like, I think you've got to think of the many, the many positive benefits. For example... We know for a fact that Westeros is, generally speaking, a horrible place. It's not good to look at. Everywhere you turn, there's poverty, corruption, degradation, and just fields of corpses left around after battles. Snow just covers all of that up. (laughs) You don't have to look at it anymore. It's much more pleasant. In fact, it's much more picturesque in general. The snowy, you know, crenellations of Winterfell there, nice towers, and you don't have to worry about the fact that there's a whole lot of corpses everywhere you And I guess you've got to... Consider that things can't get much worse in winter, so things can only get better. Oh, that's right. It's yeah. really anyway. optimistic for anyone who's seen the last season. <laughs> <laughs> Consider also in New Zealand, we must be mindful of our high rates of melanoma. Now, just think of how those are going to plunge through the floor with the cloud cover, the constant snow, the weather. They're just like people, kids are going to have fathers and mothers longer than they otherwise would because there's no risk of any kind of damage. Uh, we've also got to think about the snow sports industry. Uh, like, we've got a lot of enthusiastic backpackers coming to Westeros, taking up positions in snowfields, uh, operating lifts, and um, fueling the vital hospitality industry with their drinking binges when they get down on a weekend. Well, thank you. That's, that's a lot of really good points. Um, we're going to go over now to Andrew and Andrew to make the case for the world of Mad Max. So you're looking for a great holiday destination, right? Right? Everybody is. How much better a holiday destination could you get than Mad Max era Australia? Or South Africa, if uh, depending on which film you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> think of the warm weather. You, you don't have to bundle up when you go outside. You don't have to bundle up when you're inside. In fact, it's stinking hot no matter where you are. Um, it's, it's sunny almost all the time. Um, and, uh, you can, and if you want to get around, there's many options at your disposal. Pretty much any hunk of junk you can find out there can be jerry-rigged into a vehicle. Um, and probably already has been. Um, but I think the most important thing about, uh, about uh, Mad Max Air Australia is that it is 
of course, a libertarian paradise. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just the, the whole independence of the place mm. and the do-it-yourself attitude that holidaymakers like myself enjoy, and I think you would like it too if you, if you tried it out. It is really a place where people pull themselves up by their leather and steel bootstraps um, uh, to become, you know, the, the, the leader of a tribe of, of traveling warriors uh, if they want to be. The perfect adventure holiday. That's right. Uh, Mad Max Air Australia, where the price of gas is high, but the price of human life is dead low. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, any, uh, any questions or comments? Uh... Well, I'm just thinking, Bridget, you know what we all hate? Being kept in suspense, right? And how many years was winter coming for? Just a long, long time. A lot of talk about it. Let's get ready for it. Let's not, you know, do anything about it now, but just, just talk about it. Now, it's finally here. We can all get on with our lives. And I think it's something that, you know, we always talk about, you know, the young people of today being, you know, roguish and, and doing whatever they want. I think if winter will actually harden them and actually do, do something good for, for the right. youth of today, don't the you think? The gen- genetic pool will be narrowed down to the yeah. hardy, to like, evolutionarily speaking. <laughs> the people that survive will be better human beings. <laughs> beautiful. What a beautiful thought. Uh, any any final thoughts? Yes, well, if it's well, survival that you're into, yeah. then what better place than somewhere that's all about fighting for yourself and fighting for your life? Some real excitement with real stakes in there as well. You literally <laughs> cannot survive in Mad Max era Australia without being one hard motherfucker. Um, uh, it, it'll, it'll harden you up. It may even physically harden you up, uh, depending on how many bits of metal you get grafted into your body. Um, but it's not all. It's not all. Uh, it's not all um, kind of hardship. Uh, you know, uh, the wasteland also has uh, terrific traveling music festivals, um, where uh, because warlords, of course, uh, like to be accompanied by um, twelve-piece uh, uh, taiko bands and uh, electric guitarists. So you know, there's there's some fun as well. You don't get that in Westeros. Yeah, you kill some people and then you chill out. Yeah, in we're a- all about chilling out. All right, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, so in a moment, the audience will decide where they would like to spend their time. Uh, I'll give you one closing statement each, uh, starting with Westeros. Well, I just ask you this. Would you rather hang out with Jon Snow or Mad Max? Come to Mad Max Zero Australia and become your own, very own Aotola of rock and roller. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want you to applaud for the side that you think made the strongest case. Uh, do you think that the strongest case was made for Winter in Game of Thrones? <laughs> or the world of Mad Max? <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to give that one to Mad Max. Kit uh, Harrington is going to be so disappointed. <laughs> well, how would you tell? So, uh, in a moment, we'll go over to Erin to hear the final scores. But please, uh, one final round of applause for both our teams. Erin, how did they do? Well, show me the Monet is all negative space on 23, while Lerv actually hit a synergistic career high 27.7. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the show. Thank you for coming along, and good night!